0: Uh, We're good to kind of co-host this together, kind of meshing it together. I do definitely want to introduce Brad and Simon into this conversation a little bit. I did change the title as well, Long-Term Investing and General Market Analysis. I'm definitely down to talk kind of what we were talking there, what's happening right now. We have CPI tomorrow, which I know will definitely be a big, big thing. Um, Stock Talk, I would love to ask a couple questions around that and a couple other numbers you're looking. And we can still do the uh, the general talking around and maybe ask some some questions from the crowd. But I do want to give, the, the floor to uh, Simon and Brad to introduce themselves, kind of see what they're thinking about the market right now, and uh, anything from the long-term perspective. Uh, I would love to start it out with Simon, though. Um, first of all, introduce yourself. I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, what Seven Investing is there, and then, um, yeah, just kind of how you're feeling about the market, anything you're kind of thinking long-term that you want to start with, and uh, we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Evan, thanks very much for having me. Uh, the, the company that I'm representing is, is Seven Investing. Uh, our mission is to empower people to become better long-term investors. Our uh, our business, our product is a subscription that gives you access to each of our seven advisors' very best idea in the stock market every month. So times seven, we have seven that we issue every month. Uh, we package up into a subscription product. We talk about it over time. It's very interactive, a lot of fun to talk about the, the greatest ideas that we that we have in the stock market. And uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, even though we look a lot at fundamentals and kind of company specific things, we, we also like to chat about what we see going on in the bigger picture, too. And for this conversation, you know, in terms of the general market analysis, um, I, I think that one of the things that I've been looking at a lot that is going to be very pertinent to this is the moves that Jerome Powell is taking and raising the fund rate so aggressively to try to uh, curtail inflation that we're, I'm certain several other guests have been chatting about for the last hour or so. Is, uh, is certainly aggressive, and uh, it led to the yield curve inversion on April 1st. And this is one that gets talked about a lot because it, it kind of carries, like, this um, negative connotation, right? You know, we don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about the, the yield curve inversion. It's because the last four times that we've had an inversion like this, it's led to a U.S. recession. I heard the previous speaker actually just chatting about the recession. We've only had four times in the last 35 years that you have had the two-year treasury paying a higher rate than the 10-year treasury. And that's what the inversion means. You know, it, it means that short-term rates are going up so significantly and so quickly uh, because the Fed is taking actions to, actions to curtail inflation. But the interesting piece to me, you know, it's actually predictive of a, of a U.S. recession in the last four instances, uh, U.S. recession defined, of course, of negative GDP for two consecutive quarters. Uh, but, As a long-term investor, the interesting piece is that these indicators are out there. They're public. You know, Jerome Powell has been talking about this for six months, and we've seen the flight to safety from institutional funds. We have seen a a mass migration um, of of herd mentality, if you will, from large growth funds to large value and large blend funds. And these are hundreds of billions of dollars, right, $200 billion dollars. Um, moving into blend, and and $100 moving out of growth over the last 12 months. So this isn't exactly a surprise. And the reason I bring all this up as a long-term investor, I just think it's a fantastic time to be starting a position for anyone who's got money that's available right now. In those past four inversions, uh, they've averaged an, an average of 17 months, just about 17 months, almost a year and a half, between the point of the inversion and the worst of the worst, the U.S. recession. But over that same time frame, the S&P 500 index, you know, the largest companies in America, have averaged a 29% return in the stock market. Total shareholder return of the S&P 500 has been almost 29% over a year and a half, which is, of course, very, very strong. And those are the largest companies. I think that several companies in the NASDAQ, several of the tech companies, are going to bounce back even stronger from this. So we might be seeing, it's not unrealistic to say we're going to see 40 50% gains in tech stocks that have strong fundamental growth in their business that is out of touch with kind of the, the valuation multiples contracting. As we've seen, just the, the dynamics of the market, the flight to safety, you know, large funds pulling money out. It's very, very hard to swim upstream when things like that are going on. And so back to kind of full circle, uh, having, you know, as we're talking about long-term investing and what this means, what I'm looking for is, you know, guidance is very conservative. No company wants to stick their neck out there and be wrong right now. Uh, that has punished... A lot of companies on the day of their earnings announcements. But on the other hand, uh, still, when you're seeing a lot of these growing revenue at 40 50% or more than that, I think there's some long-term developing trends that I'm certainly uh, very aware of. The digital transformation is certainly one of those right now that, that's very interesting to me. Uh, the semiconductor industry and the chip shortage right now is another one that's very, very interesting, but still very, very strong fundamentals in cloud computing and the, the chips that are required in those data centers to provide for it. So I, I, all together, um, I think it's it's certainly a tough time for the American economy. I think it's it's almost very, very very likely in my mind that we're going to be seeing a recession here. Uh, but also, there's some very, very bullish indicators for the stock market. And that's where I have my eyes and my attention. What are the um, bullish indicators you're seeing, Simon, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I mean, like just a, like the S&P 500 index itself, you know, in, t- in times of the inversion, you know, it, it's the interest rates and everything we just discussed about. I look less closely at CPI numbers and the, uh, you know, whether Jerome is actually going to get inflation down to 2%. I I don't think a soft landing is like that. I think this is going to be a much more challenging um, task for the Fed than it's perhaps being portrayed right now. But on the other hand, you know, when you see um, companies growing at 40% that are cloud native, that have fantastic margins and they're selling at eight times sales, that's a, that's out of sync that that's a company whose valuation multiple is out of sync with the growth rates that we're seeing and i just chatted last week with somebody who's who their business is deploying uh new it solutions for large enterprise rather s p 50 or you know 100, um, 100 largest companies out there and and they're not really seeing a slowdown there's they're, they're seeing conservative guidance but you know when it comes to deploying you know it tech stacks and you know um, the infrastructure required to support cloud computing. This, this is really not slowing down just because of the, the movement of funds. And so it's those kind of dislocations. I, For me, as a fundamental uh, fundamental focused growth style investor that I claim to be, I, I, I like the setup that is looking at a lot of stocks right now. Interesting, yeah. And for those that were – I know we, you
2: touched on, on the recession profile from the last 35 years. I, I pinned a post – at the top of the nest for those that are interested in looking at some historical data, it just, uh, is covering the data of the last 13 rate hike cycles and how quickly we got to a recession. So the shortest period from the beginning of a rate hike cycle to recession in the last, well, since 1946 was the 93 rate hike cycle, which took 10 months and the 1980 rate hike cycle, which took 10 months as well. If we print a recession in July, um, That'll be what five months from the first rate hike to recession, if I'm not mistaken. Anybody I can remember go back when and the first hike? Was? Yeah, because that'll be so that'll be twice as fast as ever, um, which is interesting.
0: I am seeing March 16th is when they first
1: started raising rates. But
0: awesome in, in general uh, yeah, there.
1: Just may, on, yeah. maybe one final comment on this, you know, is somebody who your Boston Consulting Group has done some excellent empirical uh, research on what drives stock market returns. Why do stocks go up over long periods of time, And especially one of the studies that I always liked was the Value Creators Index. They publish it publicly. I can post it to my Twitter if anyone is interested in reading the, the actual report. But it finds the correlations of the stock market's best performing companies. Right. So, like, who are the companies of, you know, the Netflix's of the world or, you know, the Amazons? Who, who are the best performers? Shopify was on the list. Who are the best performers over 10-year periods? Uh, not, not in a year or two, not in something that's going to be extremely exposed to inflation or, or uh, you know, volatility in commodities and supply chains. But, like, if you're going to find the best performing stocks, which is, I think, what we're all trying to do, or at least my organization, trying to find the best of the best. and and look at what is the the highest correlated factor to the the stock returns that they post over a decade, right? What is it that's really driving this? Uh, The answer is not super surprising. It's profitable revenue growth. It's between 50 to 70% between total shareholder return and revenue growth of these companies. And you say, okay, well, yeah, Simon, that's obvious. You know, you want to find a company that can grow, but how can you find a company that's having profitable revenue growth for a decade it's a lot harder than it sounds. And I think that even in the in the short term, you know, you're going to see a lot of ups and downs. You're going to see people saying whether a price to sales ratio of 10 is reasonable this year or if it's, if it's 40 this year is reasonable. I mean, look at Upstart as a perfect example of this. I think Upstart's price to sales ratio has been between 42 and something like 8 or 7 recently. Market has no idea what it wants to value, the revenue growth of this company, which is triple digits, you know, even though it's facing the headwinds right now. Uh, but you but you look at kind of longer periods of time and a lot of that just kind of fades away. Um, the market is going to do what it's going to do in 2022, just like it did what it's going to do in 2021. But there's nothing that says you have to back the truck up at any given moment of time and say, OK, I'm all in because I think this is the bottom or, you know, I'm, I'm all out because this is at the top. Uh, a lot of investing gains are finding great companies, adding to them over long periods of time and letting the market um, step back and, and appreciate you know the the profitable businesses they are creating the revenue growth that they're, that they're displaying
0: awesome thank you simon and in general i am totally down for these free-flowing type of things if any of the other speakers want to come in ask questions comments off of whatever totally feel free best spaces are the ones that are free-flowing and kind of interactive in there so definitely more than okay with that um if we want to continue with that mr steak talk and uh yeah and, and to everyone else up here knocker gavin Sim, I think you got to comment on that other account you were uh, on last night, The Burner. Maybe it will fit a little bit more, but uh, showing off the group, shout out to that. But Brad, I want to bring you back into it or into it for the first time. I uh, would love to hear a little bit, uh, same thing there, and how you're feeling about the market, how you're feeling about some of the stocks, any news stories or anything standing out. Just kind of generally, floor is yours.
3: Yeah, uh, pretty um, slow week, I guess, but but not not really a slow
0: week. I mean, I have 11
3: Investor conferences from companies that I hold, where it's it's just basically listening to a, C, a CFO or a CEO tell me that everything is still status quo and looking good or, or not. So, um, nothing super interesting to report. I mean, the most interesting thing from this week I thought was that uh, that like the Rick uh or, or the the spaces yesterday between um the bulls and the bears of, of Rick or or I think it's called that um and and that was just I mean that was explosive and really really entertaining to listen to. But somebody her sniper has their hand up, so I'm gonna pass the mic to her. No, I'm just um, gonna be trimming some of these Tesla contracts, 35%. Um, holding runners still break even, stop loss. Sorry about that, bud. No worries at all. Yeah. So um, for me, the, the also in that in that long term um, investing camp, uh, I, I think um, the macroeconomic discussion right now is is really warranted and well placed because I think that's just what's dominantly driving um, the movements that we're seeing in, in stocks and in multiples. So I kind of think of it as, as like, if you, I'm sure a lot of people on this, on this uh, panel watch Stranger Things and like the Upside Down and, and good is bad and bad is good and that's sort of, um, sort of where where we find ourselves right now. So, um, we we have, uh, can, or really kind of, I, I mean, Snapchat reporting macroeconomic pain is not really a bellwether for for the rest of markets, but um, what is, is 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 a target profit warning three weeks after its report or um or tesla or paypal laying off some workers or, or walmart and also target GLUTS or amazon limiting limiting their capacity i mean these are bellwethers for economic growth and economic health and and this is these are all signs that cracks are forming um and and that's i mean that that sucks for the economy but but for these long duration growth stocks that, that i own um that is that is what we need to happen i mean that's we need we need credit spreads to look a lot scarier we need um, we, we need growth to slow down and we need the CPI print to start coming in in core CPI as well. Um, in, in order to, for us to get to that dovish pivot, we're looking for, which I don't think we're, we're all that close to, but, but these are signs at least, um, that we're sorry, the laundry machine song is, is, is on in the background, but these are signs at least that we're sort of um, we're sort of kind of getting, getting there. I mean, rate, rate hikes are going to continue to come. I think it's all but guaranteed that we're going to get 50 basis points in the next two meetings. And we're even getting talks now of, of that continuing on, um, into September. Uh, I mean, passive QT is only going to be, is, I mean, really beginning in six days. So we haven't even started that yet. Um, so all that's just to say that we're getting there, we're getting the economic weakening and, and the, the demand um, equilibrium or supply and demand equilibrium that we're really all looking for um, to, to finally hopefully get to a point um where we don't have to be hiking ba- rates 50 basis points every single week but um, but we're not there yet and so for me what that means is just um, continuing to slowly add but continuing to make sure that the cash infusions into my account are bigger than the additions that i'm making so that the cash position is building um and, and that'll turn when we continue to get green shoots Skirg, i hear you but i'm going to finish up real quick um, when we continue to get green shoots um, like the the Atlanta or not not Atlantic like that that was pretty scary. But here I had a data data point that I wanted to share um, with oh yeah with, with places like the Atlanta Fed, um, Philadelphia Fed, New York Fed, and the beige book that we got yesterday all or not yesterday last week all showing signs of forward inflation expectations continuing to come down not to two percent but but closer to two percent and a whole lot further away from eight percent um, and all reporting price moderations or, or price pressure moderations that are really welcome and really needed right now. So. All that's going to happen. All that's going to continue to play out. It's probably going to. I mean, it's not not to sound um, overly dramatic, but it's probably not going to be a fun time for, for growth stock investors for at least the next few quarters. Or I, I don't want to put a time frame on it. I'm just going to wait for the data to continue to coming in and to continue to see when this peak um, hawkishness not not when I think it's going to stop, but when I when when it can stop. When when we get things like um, the CPI falling well well below eight percent, and hopefully three or four months in a row of stable um, declines. I mean, that's, that's really what we need to see. And, and that's really what we should be singularly focused on right now with the labor market, as strong as it is at, at this point in time, even with all these layoff, uh, these layoff and, and, and hiring slowdown signs that we're getting, the labor market still is very strong. And the Federal Reserve does have two mandates, and that is labor and that is inflation. So when, with one strong and the other looking extremely intimidating, they should be wholeheartedly focused on that. Um, and they're going to continue to be, which which I mean, when you're sucking money out of the economy, when you're making cost of capital more expensive for everybody, um, when you're making future cash flows discounted far, far more heavily. I mean, that that's that's not a sign to just be um, two thumbs up. And, and and like like Simon was saying, it's not a time to be going all in and just, OK, all clear, green light, good to go. And, and for me, um, that's manifesting itself in in my cash position being towards the high end of, of that band that I use of five to 25%. It's, it's, but it's, I think it, it changes it, or I was rounding up um, a couple hours ago and now it might be time to round down, but it's either um, 22.2 or, or 21.2 or 21.3% cash. I'm not, not a huge difference, but want to be, want to be accurate. Um, that That's really all I have to say. We, we got the um, George Kurtz, uh, Feisty quotes about CrowdStrike versus Sentinel one yesterday that I'll put in the news of the week post But really no um, groundbreaking news for for the holdings. I'm in um, to report just really focused on on the economy and, and macro land Which which I don't really like to be focused on I'm I'm a stock picker and I like to be focused on picking stocks But but with as intimidating and as dynamic as, as macro land is right now. That's what's being focused on and, and rightfully so So um, I'm kind of forced to focus there and and we'll adapt accordingly
2: can is uh, leverage those uh, stock analysis skills of yours on the short side as well.
3: Yeah, you know, I probably should. like like, like last because think of because one thing I know ago. about
2: you or, or sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, one thing I know about you is that you are very apt when it comes to fundamental analysis. But I think that you sometimes and a lot of other investors sometimes kind of feel that inherent long bias. But I think in climates like this, where you are seeing such rapid multiple compression, you know, I def, I definitely personally believe you have the wherewithal to identify companies that are probably good shorts. You know what I mean? Especially considering that there is a lot of companies now in this climate that are getting huge share unlocks or investor unlocks, and and are really vulnerable. You know, those kind of events help accelerate uh, the the road to reality, if you will. You know, a lot of these. Uh, DSPACs that have absurd valuations. I mean, the second they get an unlock, it's like the valuation gets corrected in two or three sessions. Some of those moves can be really profitable. I mean, look at FRGE today, it's down 32%. Now it could drop more, especially if SPY drops more. Um, you know, we had EMBK a couple weeks ago, Embark Trucks, it was like a zero revenue company, it was worth a couple billion on DSPAC. That fell 60% in one day. So like having puts on these or going short on these, you know, just because they're absurd zero revenue companies with, with multi-billion dollar valuations, it's something I definitely feel like you could you could find a lot of profit in, Brad, personally. I'm definitely in the
0: same camp there, honestly. Um, something that I haven't really tried enough. Stock talk. I would love to kinda of ask you for someone in my situation in that area, like can I just kind of start out? with that? Yeah, go for it, Brad.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I think for me. Uh, for, for me personally it's just it's just really a matter of, of staying in my lane and, and doing what's really comfortable for me and, and that that could to a certain degree breed complacency and I think that's sort of what you're what you're getting at but but at the same time um, i I don't think right now is the, is the time for me to deviate from a path or a plan and, and, and to use the capital that I'm preserving for hopefully allocating in, into the long names and I do clearly have a long bias and it's a very strong long bias but but I think just staying in my lane and, and doing what what I know best and is, is very familiar to me. I think with as hectic as all these exogenous factors that we've highlighted are, I think it's just that, that that's best for me right now, not to try to, to change up the game plan or change things up. But clearly, I mean, you've demonstrated a lot of other people on this panel have demonstrated there are so many good ways um, to create alpha in markets. And at the end of the day, I mean, that's really what we're all chasing. So um, definitely for for other people who, who are kind of who, who do have the, the emotional makeup and, and maybe um, maybe, yeah, I think emotional makeup is, is a good, is a good way to frame it to, to be more kind of moving and shaking and short term and, and, long short. I think this is a phenomenal environment for you, but, but I mean, for me, um, my, my character though, the way not, not character, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to say better or worse because it's not better or worse. It's different, but the way I'm wired, it just, it just works better for me to be that long, that long, only long term only, um, using cash to hedge. Um, I I think that works really well for me. I mean, I've dabbled in options in the past and it hasn't gone well. And and, and I think it just, it's long-term investing in long only is a way for me to kind of minimize and and diminish the weaknesses in in kind of my makeup and and kind of highlight the strengths in in my makeup. So, um, certainly respect that there are so many great other ways to do this. And and obviously stake talk weekly, not stock talk weekly. Um, you, you've, you've clearly demonstrated that, but, um, but appreciate your thoughts and, and now we'll pass it over to Ev. Um, question for you so how do you uh protect uh, your stocks long term if you don't sell like covered calls or anything do you buy like the inverse of something do you I do buy, like, so i do pretty actively and, like, i so SQQQ or something yep so i'll answer your question now so i do pretty actively uh trim positions and, and add a positions so um the reason i do have that elevated cash position is because when when things get out of hand um and you can you can i mean if you Go to advanced search on Twitter and, and type in my, my account and trim or trimming. You'll see all the messages pop up about um, when, when companies do get really ahead of their shoes. I am actively trimming 5 to 10% of a position, which I mean in 2021, 5 to 10% of a position was like 50% of my cost basis. So, uh, so that, that's really how um, I manage cash and, and ensure I have li- liquidity and, and flexibility and the opportunity to take advantage of, of, uh, of future opportunities. So that is how I do things. Um and, and obviously covered calls and, and all that is, is another way to do things.
0: Awesome, appreciate oh. that. I think we're gonna I'm gonna take it back and kind of move us up, off of Brad. I feel like we've been on like 15 minutes him and then all of us slide it off a little bit. But definitely love hearing Brad a lot more. Very very smart guy. He puts out a newsletter on all the stocks that's free uh, each and every single weekend uh, on Saturday. So definitely check the link in his bio on that for a lot of really comprehensive uh, coverage on a lot of the stock that he does. But stock talk. I do want to throw it over to you. Honestly, I know you're a long-term investor as well. I know you like to play both sides of it. Well, love to hear, first of all, honestly, your thoughts on someone and kind of from me who hasn't really played that short downside a little bit, the long-term investor, where kind of you would start out? Is it looking at, like you said, those uh, those dispatch with obvious kind of things in your mind there um, in, in general. And then just, you know, any other thoughts you have from long-term perspective
2: um, or whatever you got. Yeah. Look, you know, in my perspective, and and I definitely respect what Brad said about doing what you're comfortable with. I think, you know, you, especially when you're using real money, you definitely should do what you're comfortable with. But as always, you know, I'm, I've done this with you, Evan, I've done this with Brad. I think all of my colleagues and friends who I try to encourage, even TSDR who, you know, I think before he met me, he really only was purely a price action day trader. I just think that learning how to trade different mechanisms in the market, different perspectives, long, short, um, whether you're doing it with going outright short on equities or whether you're doing it with puts or, or whatever maybe I just think these things are just useful. At the end of the day, I'm of the belief that everyone's a trader, The only thing that changes is your time frame because, you know, even long-term investors like you and Brad, right? You guys are long-term geared investors and and that's a great way to do it. It's probably the most common way that investors and traders become successful is by investing long-term because at the end of the day, over the very long term, stocks go up. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but, I'm again, I'm of the belief that we're all traders because you know, eventually, even investors sell their stocks, right? If you're if you bought Amazon and it's a hundred bucks, you, you know, you probably sold it somewhere on the way to three thousand bucks. Same thing if you bought Apple, you know, years ago, you probably sold it somewhere along the way, or maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't, but at some point, you probably will, or your kids will. And so, you know, there's I, I think there's value in investing. I've owned Tesla for. You know, almost six years now. Um, I've been LTHM for almost three years now. There are stocks that, along the way, I'll invest in for what I think is a reasonable amount of time. But I, I, I don't think that the way I always phrase this is I don't think that labeling yourself as an investor is a good excuse for poor capital management. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this for one purpose, and and obviously, I'm I'm, I'm speaking outside of people who invest for social purposes or to further a cause i'm not speaking about those types of investments those types of investments are great and i'm not discouraging people from doing those but i think for the for the most part people who are trading and investing in the market have one goal which is return on investment right you you want your you want the stocks that you buy to go up and you want the stocks you short to go down knowing that your goal is return on investment. In my opinion, people should always be looking for the best way to allocate their capital, whether that's rotating, um, whether that's reassessing your position and asking yourself, you know, one thing, one simple step I always like encourage people to take, and I think this applies to traders and investors uh, alike. You should regularly review your positions and ask yourself, would I buy more of this? at this price would i buy more of this if your answer is no then your position management of that stock regardless of your conviction in my opinion shouldn't be defensive because that's what a lot of investors do you know they they they, they look at a stock and i think there are certain exceptions if there's a stock that you have Uh, You know, I I would say a very specific exception is if there's a stock that you've owned for a long time and you have a very favorable cost basis, and even though the stock's down substantially, it's still, you know, hundreds or or thousands of percent above your cost basis, that's an exception to this. But if that's not the case, you know, if you're up a little bit or even worse down on the position and you look at it in, in the environment of the market, because you can't look at stocks in a vacuum and ask yourself this question. Because that's not the way multiples work, right? Like multiple compression, when it it starts happening, happens broadly. And that's what we saw happen over the course of the last, you know, six to eight months. It it happens quickly. It's an elevator down. And so sitting through that as an investor, I do not think is a testament to your resilience. Because most investors can redeploy their capital. Yeah, there's things like tax implications. But if you're an investor and you've had the position for over a year, you're going to play a long-term pay long term capital gains on it anyway. But, you know, there's I just even if you're not going to sell those positions, I think not acting, knowing that they're going to go down. Right. In my opinion, if you had asked most investors in December and January, you don't know they're going to go down. No, no, no. no. this, This is what I'm about to say. If you had asked most investors in December or January, what do you think is going to happen in most stocks when the rate hike, start, rate, rate hike cycle starts? What do you think most investors would have said? They're probably going to go down. We're probably going to see multiple compression. We may see a recession like the pin post above. Where we saw it 10 or 13 times. So if everyone saw this coming, my question is, why didn't enough people act defensively? And, and that's really, I think, the crux of it, because to me, that is poor capital allocation and to me it doesn't matter whether you're an investor or a trader That is it's just nonsensical because you're not acting at something that you even personally believe is going to happen and yeah every time everybody thinks the market's going to go down does it no but historically speaking every time the fed wants the market to go down it goes down and every time the fed wants the market to go up it goes up and so we all saw this this was broadcasted right but you know people i don't, i know personally i know people whose portfolios are around like 60 70% a year to date i i don't think there's an excuse for that i don't think being an investor is an excuse for that i think that's either a an inability to rotate because there's sectors that have been strong this year the commodities have been strong energy has been strong agriculture has been strong there's been hot sectors on a monthly basis where you could have found strength um, There have been long opportunities. There have been plenty of short opportunities. Um, If you're hedged appropriately, then you could have stayed market neutral this entire time as well. Or you could have been net cash and and you could have been relatively market neutral that way. But I I think if anybody who's down massively year to date, if you're down a little bit year to date, yeah, a lot of people are. The S&P's down a little bit year to date. But if you're massively underperforming the indexes this year, in my opinion, to me, that is, probably a result of inaction. It's probably a result of the bystander mentality that so many investors have. And this isn't me talking shit to Brad or you, Evan, or anybody specifically. This is to me, I genuinely think it's a bug in the investor community because of the labeling, you know, like, I just think it's, it's this mentality of like, Oh, I can't do anything to to play the downside or I can't do anything to expose myself to the downside. Um, If you're going to be net long exposed in climates like this, I feel like you have to find either a hedge or you have to find a way to play short exposure, whether it's on individual equities or the broader market. That's just my view on it. And and again, I don't do it perfectly. But, you know, I, I find a lot of comfort in trying to make those maneuvers, even if they aren't always successful. Because when they are successful, you feel like you really did you know, act to preserve your capital or act to, you know, seize opportunity because there's been plenty of opportunities. It's just been the other direction, you know, um, whether you shorted RK, whether you shorted the Qs, whether you shorted an individual stock that had zero revenues and a 50 50 billion market cap, whatever it was, I feel like there were obvious shorts. There were obvious macroeconomic headwinds and people who didn't do anything about it or try and didn't try to gain any exposure, even if it was alongside with energy, I just don't understand that personally. And 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 I don't think that that's a knock on those people. I just think it should be a lesson so that in for in future environments where everything is so macroeconomically dictated that people realize, hey, I have to play. like you have to play along with the Fed. They're the most powerful economic organization. In the world by far, and you have to play along to their tune as much as it sucks to do it. And honestly, the perfect top, hilariously, the perfect top was when they all got out of the stock market and there was that huge conflict of interest. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that as literally like three days away from the top. Um, you can't fight them, they, they, they are the market, the Fed is the market when everything was going up, it was, it was for that reason. And when everything is going down, it's because of them as well.
1: Could I chime in with some thoughts about that? I was actually coming right to you, Simon. It's some great points. I'm not going to, uh, I, I like the perspective that you bring up and we all have different perspectives. We're all different. We're all approaching the stock market in different ways, right? There's nothing that says that every investor has to do the same thing or have the same approach or perspective. Like that's kind of what makes the market is there's two sides to every trade. Uh, From a personal anecdote though, I've seen maybe a a different perspective from that, which encourages um, being a bit more patient and thinking a bit longer term as an investor. It's a very different game when you wanna be a a kind of a shorter term trader, especially if you're going short in positions or using options for short positions. Uh, That can blow up even the most quantitative hedge funds out there that that have got these sophisticated models, you know, using a lot more data than we have as retail investors, Uh, even they blow up all the time when they're going short and then all of a sudden AMC or GameStop blows up the plan that they had for it. And nobody would have seen that one coming because they thought, oh, there's no catalyst for these kinds of companies. But the particular uh, anecdote that I'd like to share is actually with relation to Tesla, right? I don't want to say blanket coverage about all the companies in the market or everything works the way that it certainly does. But Tesla was one that I got exposure to actually through SolarCity back in 2013. I bought right right after the IPO, found this innovative company, said that I was going to hold on to it for years. And it wasn't more than a few years later than that, that, that SolarCity got acquired by Tesla. You know, a huge controversy about this first and foremost. And then it wasn't even very far after that, that people were questioning whether Tesla as a company was going to go bankrupt. Specifically 2016, I, I had conversations with CFA charter holders. you know, people that have really, really gotten behind the curtain and looked at the nitty gritty. Uh, a lot of data, a lot of indicators, a lot of information saying, hey, Elon's about to go bust. Tesla is done. And he was very convincing in the arguments that he made that, that I should go short Tesla in 2016. You know, the company was about to go to zero. And I don't think I need to tell anybody on this call that Tesla has done phenomenally well. It's now the fourth largest company in the S&P by market cap. Over the six years from 2016, it's, it's about a 16 bag or 16 times the market cap it had just six years ago at the time that, you know, everyone was saying kind of a lot of the similar things about, oh, you know, there's um, there's liquidity concerns, you know, there's, there's, there's balance sheet concerns, you know, it, it, there's just a variety of reasons. And, and I guess that my only sentiment on this, and I and I, of course I respect every every perspective on the stock market because we all make each other smarter every time we have these conversations. But there's a good reason why why I have chosen to be a long term investor. And it's not in buy and hold and pray and you know just hope for the best and you know, ignore the data. I mean, Brad will back me up on this too, that even a long term investor can be talked out of a position if, if things are, are turning against them. But it's also, in my opinion, much, much harder for retail investors to take short positions in the algorithmic trading world that we are today, where there's 90% of the trading that's being done by bots that are quantitative. I mean, if we want to play that game and try to beat those algorithms, it's it, that's much, much harder than trying to identify a competitive advantage in a company that's getting stronger over time. So maybe just my two cents, Evan, I, I appreciate you know the panelists that, that, that spoke up about this, but from my perspective, it's very, very hard to to actually execute Efficiently, if you're trying to short the market or, or go against um, the market as a whole.
3: I don't think he's saying you have to short the market, but instead of like owning Tesla and watching it fall down to like $500 from and lose half its value and losing all that and hoping it goes back up, you could buy covered calls and make, you know, profit each week off of your calls and that offset your losses from the stock. And I think if you don't do that,
2: it's not very wise. No, oh, I mean, I, 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 don't think again. Hey,
3: hey I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hop off. But everybody have a wonderful day,
2: um, and,
3: and enjoy, enjoy this as always. Have a great day, everyone. Take
2: care,
3: Brad.
0: Appreciate you coming on, Brad.
2: Yeah, I don't think short or go puts. I think there's other ways you can do it, like rotating. Like I think people who wanted to be long, you know, if they were long on, on, on commodities, they would have done great, right? So. I don't think you have to go outright short with, you know, unlimited downside. That's what I'm advocating, especially for new traders. I'm just saying there are ways to play the downside um, that you can do that are more responsible. And there's also ways that you can play the upside just in different sectors than you typically would. I mean, if you had just sat through long growth in tech, then it, you know, it probably didn't go as well as if you had gone long in some of these other commodities. You know, whether it was lithium, oil. Um, any of these agricultural stocks have, that have all done well, fertilizer stocks that have done well. Um, I, 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 I hear what you're saying as well, Simon, and I do think there's different strategies, but I think that like being able to be flexible and adapt as the market is changing prevents those huge drawdowns, I think, or at least can help mitigate them um, that a lot of new investors have taken. I mean, being down 60 or 70%, you know, in a few down in a few months of the year, that to me is probably because of inaction, like I
1: said, more than anything. Yeah, I respect that. I certainly respect different approaches to the market. I didn't want to make it clear that, you know, one way is right or one way is wrong. There's definitely plenty of, of room for, for a bunch of different approaches. I just wanted to share a perspective from a long-term investor.
0: I do definitely think a big thing is we're talking different ways to outperform the market over a period of time you know, for the average in person with no time to put in and just want to make money, you know, you're not going to come in here and try and play that downside. You're not going to come in here and pick individual stocks for the upside. The Best thing you do is buy those broad-based indexes. Maybe I think, you know, Stock Talk will come in here and say you look at those macro conditions, you maybe change when you're buying, but you know, at the end of the day, it's buy and hold those broad-based mm-hmm. ETFs and more or less the stock market goes up over time, not those individual stocks. But we're kind of talking in that niche in there of how do I outperform that over time? And there definitely are a lot of different different styles in there. So love having a discussion about it. But Simon, I saw you unmuted there. I, it
1: just, it's just—it's so interesting. I think the bigger picture, you know, Evan, of, of kind of the the, um, the 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 state of the market or you know the, the mood of the market. You know, we always kind—it of, it was a—it wasn't—it was a year ago, right? If we—if we, I if want to remember is where we were um, a year ago, where everyone's kind of paying millions of dollars for NFTs of bored apes. Right, and you've got these tech companies that are just raising money at whatever valuation they want to for a SPAC, and uh, people, everyone's refinancing their home, right? Because interest rates are super low. People are retiring early. Like it's like the worst news that was out there was like these these ships getting stuck sideways in the Suez Canal. It's like you know, optimism was like raining the financial media headlines, and and it's so interesting now to like see the complete opposite, right? Of course, a lot's happened. That, that, the reason I bring this up is it seemed like, it seemed, it felt, it felt like if you were reading the headlines at that time, that everything could go right and nothing could go wrong. And it just, it, it, in my opinion, it's it's 180 degrees different today. It feels like everything is wrong and pessimism reigns. And, you know, we've got to go into cash and, you know, soar beef jerky and ammunition underneath our bed at night now because the market is this lurking monster that's going to destroy fortunes. And certainly nobody, I, I can't disagree that, you know, anyone who bought, uh, last year, in the middle of the optimism, has certainly felt a lot of pain over twelve months. There's no doubt about that. I'm just saying that you know that that is a more challenging time to buy when stocks are selling at forty times sales or fifty times sales. and it seems retrospective that we look back on it and say, oh, you know, the market is so bad. it's just so so painful to watch it, it. to me, it's the complete opposite. You want to actually buy and be greedy when others are fearful re- rather than fearful when others are greedy. it's It's not hope and pray. It's just kind of there there are better opportunities to be mindful of that are out of touch with, I think, the bigger picture about the Fed and the negativity in the American economy and the recession. I I personally think right now is a much better time to be buying than 12 months ago. And of course, hindsight's always 2020 for everyone, but it's very interesting to see the different tone being presented in the financial media that, that I'm at least seeing today.
0: I agree completely with that. And I think you also, it's a step further. Analysts do the same things. They change the price target after the stock falls, they drop it, or after it's up a lot, they raise it after, you know, it's hard to find the individual stock. And in 2020, 2021, mostly 2020, it was rewarded pretty much anything. And now those opportunities in there, there's a lot of those stocks that are down 70%, 80%. Can they fall more? Yeah. Are most of them probably going to keep going down? Yeah. But are there some gems in there that will recover? And will make long-term investors in there who kind of was able to pick that and kind of you know invest in that and hold it will it make them a lot of money? Yeah, so I I, I agree with you very much there, Simon, that you know for those companies that you're laser focused on that you know you're, you're not even going to get 100% of them if you're shooting for 10x's. You can do your work in on, on a lot of stocks. You hit two out of ten and you're rich with 10x's, and you can even make that even more by cutting your losses at less than 100%. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff there, and I definitely do appreciate this conversation from both ends. Before I throw it over to Sim and bring her into this a little bit more again, Simon, uh, I, I just had, I was going to say steak talk, so I had to stop myself there for a little bit. Was there anything you guys want to add in here? Any more uh, extra topics?
1: Yeah, yeah, Knowledge is power, right? Like, use information to your advantage. You know, Reddit's founder, Steve Hussman, was chatting at a conference I was at not too long ago, and I actually kind of think this is this is a neat movement of empowering people with information. You know, the Wall Street's bet, the AMC and the GameStop stuff, people can say, A lot of things that they want to about that but but net net more information that people are bringing out uh whether it's you know in this twitter spaces which you are always so generous to invite me to evan and and different perspectives from from different investors you know whether we're playing the long game or the short game or the long-term game or the short-term game i mean information is is meant to be empowering to people to make decisions off we're all we're all personally making decisions in the stock market i don't ever shy away from uh from more information as as a as a net benefit rather than less information and us being ignorant about what's going on out there. So I I encourage you, I enjoy these conversations. I really appreciate uh, different perspectives and I've always appreciated having me on these spaces.
0: Definitely love having you on these spaces, Simon. Very,
1: very smart guy. You could tell through speaking, you know, we can
0: have these open discussions and and kind of go into it. So definitely uh, a regular on these spaces. Got to get you on a couple more than these long-term investing. Maybe uh, we get you on some, uh, some chill ones, or maybe some of your stocks, when uh, they come up on earnings, you could join some of our live earning spaces. But uh, I think that would all be fantastic. Major shout out to uh, Seven Investing as well. If you want to know what that is, and you want more Simon, check the link in his bio. But Sim, I want to bring you into this. And I kind of have a question for you. Um, you know, maybe this is niche, maybe this is whatever, but as, as a trader in the market who is doing really good in there, or you know, killing it, do you have a long-term investing account do you think that's something important to you uh, at all in there? And, like, you know, it, it could be as far as just holding the indexes in there or, you know, it could be a little bit more advanced picking stocks. But, yeah, we'd love to hear your kind of perspective um, about what you're doing for the long term there with those trades. Or is it kind of just cost-benefit bene- now you're kind of just throwing it all in the trades? It has been a while. Maybe a little unfair to just over to Sim. Perfect. All right. No worries there. Mm. Maybe if you trust, Ake. Like. Yep. Didn't work. Rip. All right. No worries at all. Wolf. I want to throw it back to you, Mr. Bullish. Rippers, actually, we don't have the Wolf account up here. There's no verified accounts up here. It doesn't happen that much in the Wolf spaces anymore. My phone decided to start an update. Ooh, rip, rip, rip. But yeah, we'd love to hear your kind of thoughts, anything you want to add here, um, kind of how you're playing for the long term. Then maybe if we wanted to kind of kick off, start off into wrap-ups a little bit, maybe we talk some more of the spaces we got coming a little bit today.
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, For the long term, you know, I haven't really added, I, I'm excited to start adding some of these positions for the long term. There's definitely a number of stocks, and you know, shout out to Investing for some great ideas that I really want to start adding to, but I've just been waiting here. I just haven't added to a long position this year. I mean, the only one that I did was wheat and uh, that eventually got stopped out. Uh, so, you know, nothing else has been added to this year by me, uh, which is, you know, interesting. It's been a little bit, but not not for the worst to see that happening. I think that there's some stuff, especially like, you know, meta I was looking at, you know, at these levels, like there's just a lot of companies that I still believe have some pretty strong futures and are starting to, you know, not fall, it seems, as hard as they were in the past. You know, meta, I think NVIDIA is another one where there's a lot of times where I looked at NVIDIA and said, hey, you know, it comes back down to X level I'm going to add, right? And, you know, NVIDIA under 200 was something which I was kind of waiting for a long time. And you know, now we have that opportunity. So I think there's a number here, but what I'm waiting for again, and we talked about this on the Space with the Street yesterday, I think SPY is gonna come back down to 384 again. I think it's gonna retest that anchor view up from the COVID lows uh, before you know we are able to go elsewhere. And I also, you know, as everybody's talked with about, I wanna see what the macro data says tomorrow. I really wanna see this print uh, next month with the GDP. Uh, and just kind of like let some of the pieces fall before I go ahead and add. So excited to add. I think it's, you know, a really interesting opportunity that so many stocks did come down so hard so fast. And I don't want to miss that on the upside. But just waiting a little bit here. As for the spaces for the rest of the day, we have a uh, 3 p.m. space. That's going to be the next one. That's going to be a power hour with Brian Shannon and Richard Moglin. Then right after that, we have a 4 p.m or 350 earning space this is the only earning space we're doing this week and it is because we have DocuSign today so it'll probably be about you know five ten minutes talking about actual earnings and just maybe like 20 minutes talking about the week in the market so you can come for some market chatter then and a little bit of earnings and then at 4:30 p.m i'm going to be doing a space called film in web 3 uh, i was reached out to you by some pretty significant players in the web 3 space um should be a good one having them on at 5.30, we're going to be discussing uh, the NFT legal landscape. So really just the legal side of everything, how to navigate that. 6.30 p.m., doing some more project highlights. 7.30 p.m., we're going to be talking about real estate in Web3 with BalconyDAO. And 8.30 p.m., going to be doing another crypto chat with HODLENOT. A lot of people have been really interested. I mean, the whole staking thing has been one of the you know most consistent pieces. If you know, Right now, I think USDC, the, the rates are still at 9.4% APY. Uh, I think this can move down slightly next month to somewhere around 7 to 8%, but still, it's uh, some pretty nice money to be making on weekly payouts. So those are the rest of the day. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more spaces that will be coming up today. So a nice, healthy handful of those, and then another slate of spaces tomorrow. So that's what I got going on, Evan.
0: Awesome, Wolf. Appreciate that, and uh, looking forward to it. Um, definitely great to have you on these spaces. Massive shout-out to the Bullish Rippers account for hosting this for the last, what, we went live at 10.30, so more than two hours. We have been live, putting out this all awesome free content. All we ask is that you follow, the amazing account up here that's hosting it, uh, Simon, Sim, and then Stock Talk. Are we trying to grow the Steak Talk account at all? Do we care about it, or are we, uh, what are we doing?
2: I mean, I don't care. You, people can follow it if they want to follow I, it. I'll post bigger steak sometimes.
0: If you like meat, Follow uh, Steak Talk. So, uh, big meat guy down there. I'm going to throw it over to you, to uh, you, Mr. Meat. We'd love to hear what you're uh, watching for the rest of the week. Anything you got in wrap-ups? And then, uh, maybe we have uh, the uh, the spaces tomorrow, right? On Fridays. 11 We do Eastern. have that
2: tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that'll be at 10 a.m. Central, uh, 11 a.m. Eastern. Not on the Steak Talk Weekly account, but on my main account on Stock Talk Weekly. Um, and, uh, yeah, that'll be fun. And we also, me and Jay, uh, Evan, what are you doing after hours?
0: Today or tomorrow? Today. Uh, I don't think really anything. I know I got one do You have, got Do you have anything before.
2: after hours, Wolf? I do. I
4: have literally from, we have the, the, the brief earning space we're going to do for DocuSign, and then I'll be on spaces uh, directly. So I'm going to open a space at 3 p.m., and I'm not going to close it till 9.30
2: Oh yeah, because me and Jay are doing a space on the housing market at three fifteen.
4: Oh, all right. Well, that's when we're gonna be doing. Uh, we we typically do a power hour with Brian Shannon and Richard Boglin. That's right. Her, he's that talking. Time. He's that's central, so it'll be four fifteen our time, I think. Okay, yeah. So we'll be finishing up our. Uh, we we'll finishing up our. What do you call it? Our probably well, our
0: these, Yeah, going into maybe yeah, right right around crypto then.
4: spaces. Yeah, and then I'll be going into some crypto and other stuff after that. I'm going to do a real estate one at 7.30. Maybe if you guys want to pop in with some of those insights from, the, from your real estate space.
2: Yeah, or if you want to reschedule that real estate space and move it up, if those speakers can make it, you can push integrated with
4: unfortunately so I have a 3 p.m. and then a 3 oh you have one over
2: with ours I have a 4 30 then a 5 30
4: then a 6:30, then a 7:30, then an 8 30 today so they're all back to back and they all have like seven speakers scheduled and they've all been scheduled for a week all
2: right well so, um well Evan if you're free if you want to jump on that feel free that'll be at uh 3 15 central so 4 15 eastern
4: yeah man I'm sure it'll be good regardless there's definitely uh plenty of different crowds on here that are always looking for spaces sounds good cool Evan. anything else for this one?
0: Oh, i forgot uh, i didn't realize i was on you there but yeah um definitely need to throw it over to uh just to, to uh simon would love to hear some of his thoughts there anything else in wrap-ups and also would love to hear a little bit more about uh seven investing too simon
1: yeah, well, I think, thanks, guys. You know, one that, that's really on my radar and I've been paying a lot of attention to, uh, especially in my own seven investing recommendations recently, has been the semiconductor industry. I, I just think that, you know, when you see cloud, the cloud service providers growing 30 40%, that's, you know, the Amazons and the Microsofts and the Googles of the world. And then all the applications are kind of being built more efficiently from this whole DevOps movement. Uh, you got to have the hardware that keeps up with the, with the software that demands all of that. And there are a handful of companies that are really really in the right position to capitalize on this. Um, chip shortage isn't going away anytime soon. Capacity is catching up with with uh, demand out there. Good opportunity for long term investors who want to get into chip stocks.
4: I've been there. Oh he declined. Okay. I think
1: he said I think I one scared one. him away. It must have been something yeah. I said. <laughs>
4: yeah yeah you must be having some technical difficulties. All right Simon, great having you on really enjoyed the conversation as always. Anything else you want to add on?
1: No, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
4: Okay, cool. Appreciate everybody who tuned in. This was great. Uh, I think we're pretty much, uh, going to wrap up here. We ran for about two and a half hours. I'll just give final comments here to Evan and then we'll close out.
0: Yeah. Payne. That wasn't even a, uh, a disconnect or let me go into another account. I just full on got booted there, but massive shout out to all the amazing speakers on the spaces. Make sure you're following each and every single one of them. Uh, Simon, Sim, Steak Talk up here. Fantastic accounts. Fantastic follows. Make sure you're following Wolf Financial as well. Uh, He's hosting 40 hours of live spaces every single week and Bullish Rippers for uh, bringing us all together in those last two and a half hours. A lot of fantastic free content coming out of them. So a uh, major shout out to that. Metal put out a tweet about Meta scaling back their AR glasses according to uh the information, but we'll see going forward. And uh, yeah, appreciate it, Wolf.
4: Awesome. Sounds good, everybody. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your days. We'll see